Hello there and welcome to episode 59 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. So, it's been a chaotic couple of weeks at the Albion since we last gathered at the debate club. And after what feels like painstaking eons of watching a man dodge bullets, the Bruce dynasty has finally imploded. And in the aftermath of a disastrous tenure, Albion now find themselves dwelling in the basement of the championship in the hunt for their 15th manager in a decade. And I think it's fair to say that although Bruce is gone, what's been revealed to Albion fans and what's become more and more obvious over the last few years is that that is merely the surface of the landfill at this club. There is a sickness that runs deep. There is rot in the boardroom and at every level. And it's difficult to see how the club moves forward, even with a new manager coming in, because there seems to be so much problems that a new manager seems to be putting a plaster over a festering, infected wound. But before we get to all the speculation and the drama and discussions about the future and what that holds, let me say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. Apologies that it's been a couple of weeks. We have busy lives and whatnot, and so just scheduling time for the three of us to get together and can sometimes be a little bit problematic. So we thank you for your patience with us. We do enjoy doing the podcast, so we miss it too. Um, So we're glad to be here tonight. We're glad to be here to talk about what's been happening recently and hopefully what will be happening in the future as well. So thank you for listening. Please do share the podcast. Continue to support us by telling your friends and your family and the people you go to the games about the podcast we've noticed that the listens are going up so we really do appreciate all of you people who are out there sharing it you know, share it on your social media and whatnot as well we really do appreciate it and if you can leave us a little review or a five-star rating on the platform that you're listening to this we do much love and regard you for that little endeavor of yours so there's so much to talk about tonight it's been two weeks since i think we last recorded and in that two weeks we've sacked steve bruce we've begun the managerial hunt we've played multiple games we've had interim boss oversee two of the said games that we've played and not just that we've kind of had so many conversations revolving around ron gourley the ceo guacan lai the owner of albion that it's almost a little bit of a, a question of where do we even begin our conversation tonight but i think we do have to kind of contextualize our conversation slightly although it feels like perhaps most of the conversations already been had at this point so we won't spend too long dwelling on it but obviously it kicks off with Steve Bruce's sacking our Monday mornings were interrupted a couple of weeks ago by the news that following a nil-nil draw at home with Luton that Steve Bruce had finally been sacked it's a strange one really because there were so many occasions over the previous few weeks where you thought that was the final nail in his coffin I think I've used this analogy before to describe Valerian Ishmael but you know it's Halloween and you know like Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers or something where the 
the kids that he's been chasing after for all the movie and they finally kill him and they like impale him on a fence or they run him over with a car or there's some way of incapacitating him and they think that's it we finally got him he's done he's dead and then they'll turn around and be crouching and then they'll look back and he's gone because he's still alive and he's still on the hunt that's very much how steve bruce felt like to me it felt there were so many occasions when he was done he was dead man walking and yet the reality of it is he continued to stalk us ready to um make us his victims is that a fair thing to say but he finally went i don't think there's too much speculation of was it the right decision or not i think the question that lingers over steve bruce's sacking now was did we wait too long and i think that's a good place for us to start our conversation today did we wait too long to sack steve bruce i think we waited Probably a month, month and a half. You know, the international break, we had a chance to get rid of him. Seems to be the correct place to do it. You know, if you're going to get rid of someone, sort everything out and you give yourself some time and the players get some time to get to know a new manager. But yeah, we sacked him too late and it made people hate him more. (laughs) It has turned into a very similar situation to what happened at Villa and Newcastle. We don't like him and we would not like to see him near the club again. I mean, arguably, hindsight, he was the wrong appointment to start off with. So you could argue that, you know, he should never have been appointed because he, he hasn't done any good. But I do think we were having this discussion with Tom from Baggy's Bulletin. We were talking that he, you know, 10 games into the season is when kind of we can get a real taste of whether he's likely to do any good. I mean, we're currently sitting 22nd in the table, which is atrocious. It's a far cry from where we should be. I mean, it's one of those, isn't it? You should never say should. You, you have to earn position in the championship. But he's just not been good enough. Like a few crazy decisions, for example, with the goalkeeper playing button over Palmer and not changing it sooner then you've also got like formation and taking Asante off for, for Grant a few weeks ago just crazy things like that that just rub the fans up the wrong way I mean I would say he should have been sacked at least a month ago it's going to be interesting to see what happens next I think he's going to go down in history as if not the worst manager we've ever had especially in recent memory there are a few that probably come close in some people's minds, Alan Pardew, and then the people that are perhaps even older could name a few others from the late 80s into the early 90s. It's quite funny, Jamie. It's, it's actually making people question whether we should have kept Ishmael Miller, which Valerian Ishmael, which I think says it all. It's remarkable because Valerian Ishmael, by the end of his little run, was so unpopular that it, it really does speak volumes as to just kind of the depth of feeling towards Steve Bruce at the very end. He finished with a win ratio of 25%, which is so low for a team that was a playoff contender in the very, very worst predictions from most people. And he won eight, drew 12 and lost 12 of 32 games in charge. And Really, when he took over, he was Ron Gourlay's man. And he was the guy that was going to either cement our position in the playoffs or take us further following Valerian Ishmael. But the descent that we've been on as a club since Steve Bruce has, has taken on the role, it, it was it, it's really remarkable. It almost feels like of all of the possible outcomes that Albion fans were thinking, like he's done worse than you could have possibly envisioned would have even been possible. 
There was an interesting article in The Athletic by Elias Burke, which has been discussed at length by most Albion fans and on other podcasts. Really, really good article, which shed light on just how primitive and archaic the approach Steve Bruce took at the club was. And there was so many little sound bites and little headlines you could mine out of that article that really stirred up a lot of like resentment and bitterness towards Steve Bruce. Some of the stuff about him and Ron Gawley relationship the fact that there was no interview process he was just given the job based on his friendship some of the recruitment over the summer and how it all revolved around personal friendship networks and previous contacts and then even moving in towards the training and his lack of involvement there his lack of understanding about the rules of the championship for the coming season it seemed like he was fairly detached and although he was seemingly motivated when he took on the job it doesn't seem like he really wanted to bring Albion forward in any great sense and I think what this article did and I think what you've just spoken to there Alex was it highlighted that Although Steve Bruce was definitely a problem at the Albion over the last couple of months, he's not the only problem. And as you said rightly, Ron Gourlay's involvement in getting in Steve Bruce, was he the right appointment at the time? It's almost, there's no argument that he wasn't. And frankly, the fact that this man who was brought in to establish a footballing board to make these decisions and rebuild the infrastructure of the Albion from the inside so that we could make better decisions and stabilise ourselves as a football club, really, it does kind of say, well, Bruce isn't the only problem. So I guess that's, for me, the difficult question now going ahead is the people who were in charge who made the decision to hire Steve Bruce, the people who are in charge over the summer recruitment period, the people who are in charge who never built this footballing board, the people who are in charge when they said they were going to be transparent and honest and reach out to the fans to try and re-establish connection. And all of these other elements of the club, the transfer deadline day, the borrowing of money against the club and all of these things, those people are all still there. I don't know whether I trust those people moving forward about what the next steps that our club are that are necessary to get us to where we want to be again for me we're entering into a dark ages as the club and the potential is there for us to not just have those dark ages exist in the background of the club I feel like that it always bleeds onto the pitch and that's what we're very much seeing the players have a responsibility to hold up their end of the bargain but ultimately I think what's outworking on the pitch is a result of what we're seeing behind the scenes and I don't know about you guys what do you make of all of the kind of just seemingly utter chaos behind the scenes at the moment. For me, when Ron Gourlay came in, he promised all this transparency. He came across really well, put this statement out, going to see the fan boards. For me, in my professional role, started thinking, is he starting to figure things out around the back, starting a target operating model, having a vision, having a strategy, planning for the future. And that's what it sounded like. It sounded so promising. And Steve Bruce was there, just set that up. Someone to stabilise. Yeah, he didn't do very well in, in the second half of last season, but he had his summer. And for me, we were promised quite a lot. And I think Steve Bruce is partially to 
blame for that because he didn't perform as well. He didn't turn up to train and anything. So you have to have everybody pulling in the same direction to become successful. But we're lacking in capabilities around our club. We're lacking in scouting. We're lacking in technology, I believe. There's nothing there which could align to someone like someone like Millwall or Luton. I bet they've got all these things and they're smaller clubs. And that doesn't mean that you don't have all these things, but they've got smaller budgets. I think Ron Gourlay should have been doing this. He's a businessman. He should be going and looking at what our model is at the moment. Are we struggling in some areas in the club on paper we had a manager who should be you know getting us to the playoffs steve bruce we had a team that without even the signings should be around the playoffs so he should have been looking into the back and i think that's where a lot of this problem is stemming from there's been people behind the scenes that have stuck there for ages and you need some changes sometimes you need to change it all up you need a new vision for a team you need a new business vision and our vision has to change now we're not a promotion team so he needs to do something about it and nothing's happening the comparison was made to birmingham wasn't it and their data led approach to their signings in the summer and uh, i know there was a couple of players that we were i don't know if we were actually linked with them in reality but we're certainly linked with them on social media and so Tahis Chong and various sort of players and someone mentioned that their sporting director their football director is Craig Gardner and that blew my mind because they've got John Eustace and Craig Gardner working in tandem to build what you're saying Joe some sort of long-term project at Birmingham City and I'm sure at the heart of that there is a vision and there's a strategy to realize that vision and and they've probably got, I don't know, one year, two year, five year, 10 year aspects to all of those things. My fear at the Albion is that it's not just that we've got to change the vision. I'm scared that there isn't one. I'm scared that you've got people there that are literally thinking all we needed to do was bring Steve Bruce in and this thing takes care of itself or make a, a bucket from going up to the, the Premier League. And there's not really too much that needs doing, really. And I think all of this talk about building a football board and coming out with the right statements in the press was lip service to the fans. What do you think, Al? Yeah, I mean, Joe said that we should be promotion contenders. We're in a relegation battle at the moment. You know, it's frightening. But yeah, I think as chief executives, you know, your role is to be in charge of that high level strategic direction and look at the vision. And I, I just think that who's holding Gourlay to account? Gourlay doesn't seem that invested in the club. I'm not sure if Ken's still knocking around. I just think he's got a job for life there where he can just do what he wants by the look of it. Other than the fans who don't appear to have much of a voice at the club anymore, you know, who is holding Gawley to account? We're in a position really, rocking a hard place where I feel quite powerless, I guess. It's it's obvious that we need change, but there's nobody taking it by the scruff of the neck and making changes. Like you look at the scouting network, Ian Pearce, what is he doing? He's probably earning quite a lot of money out of the club, but it seems that the transfer policy is signing neighbours and and friends and family so what's Ian Pearce doing is what I ask and I totally agree with Joe in that you know we need to perhaps shuffle up the back room and like perhaps people have got too friendly and too like you know they're playing PlayStation and having too much fun outside of football maybe it's like the whole culture of the club needs a bit of a shake-up that's Ron Gourlay on COD with Ian Pearce at the weekends. That's the problem. I think for me, it's like something we've spoken about before we even recruited Steve Bruce, even going all the way back into the end of the Slavin Bilic, Sam Allardyce era. That period where Luke Dowling had left the club, pre-Ron Gourlay, Ken was a relatively inexperienced chief executive or chairman or whatever the layout of the boardroom was. There was this talk that Albion needed 
infrastructure. They needed to readdress the boardroom and work out what was going forward. And there's that kind of, at this point now, legendary liquidator episode where Paul Sharner came on and he almost spoke into all of this idea that Albion needs an identity, they need a vision, they need something that they can agree on that overarches individual managers and just becomes something of an identity and a culture and a philosophy at the club that then everyone knows they're building towards, the recruitment team know the type of players they're going to get, that automatically informs the style and type of manager you're going to recruit and everything kind of fits into place and Paul Shiner almost seemed at that point, and we spoke about it and everyone else spoke about it, was kind of almost, here's my CV, kind of come get me. But obviously the kickback to all that was, well, Paul Shiner, what experience has he got? But then to come back to that example of Birmingham, what experience had Craig Gardner got? apart from knowing the game from playing in the game and having an idea of something bigger than just next Saturday or something bigger than just we want to get promoted or avoid relegation, something bigger than the short term next three months of the club in mind when you approach day-to-day running of the club. And I think that's the problem at Albion is there's always this short term goal at the Albion, which is to either avoid relegation in the premiership or when we're in the championship to get promoted as quick as possible and we will sacrifice anything at the altar of that short-term goal and for me we have to table all of that now and start from the very basics from the very beginning as you've both just said then long-term vision long-term goal what are we going to be about and I think that starts by something that we were promised six months ago eight months ago nine months ago whenever it was that Gourlay come in of this footballing board I think you need to get a director of football in before you get a manager in because your director of football should go and get your manager and find the manager that's going to take the team forward. We seem to be doing it back to front altogether and now we're left in another situation where we're going to bring another manager in who doesn't have the support of a technical director. It limits the amount of options we have going forward and frankly, again, it just feels like a short-term solution to get us out of this crisis that we find ourselves in, but with no real footstep closer to the future we all want as fans, which is to see our club thriving, healthy, hopefully in the Premiership, playing entertaining football, but ultimately just out of this utter mess at the moment. What gets me is that we had the template. We had such a good blueprint with Dan Ashworth and all of that that was going on. So it's not as if... You know, we haven't got the infrastructure or we didn't have it previously. We just need to galvanise the previous structure, update it a bit. I find it just balmy. I agree, but this is the time, like you mentioned there, like around Craig Gardner being or indirect or whatever you call it. It's the time now to put someone who can learn, who's got experience of football, obviously, they need that. But I think learn the job while we're in this bit of a rut. This season, we're not getting anything out of it. The top half finish is going to be successful for us. We should be putting that person in, letting them get to grips with the club, let them get in their data scientists bringing their team in. They don't need to announce this person, employ them, and then announce them at the start of next season when they've got a bit of background knowledge of players around Europe or South America. But this is what he should be doing. I just, like Alex, it's just, it's an easy payday for him. In the end of the day, he's an old businessman. He's been in the game for a long time and he knows how to play it. He knows that we've got a non-existent owner, so he's not accountable. And he can just leave and he'll get paid to severance package to go. Oh, it's awful how our clubs run. And it, that's not just Albion, but we're in a pickle at the moment on this. 
the phrase that's been knocked about is jobs for the boys and it feels very much like that there was even uh i can't remember where i heard this it might have been on one of the other album podcasts that ian pierce's son works for the scouting department and it's just speaks this nepotism and all what you said Alex the friends family and neighbours that, that are working down the Albion and you get that there's like this community vibe at the club but ultimately there has to be something of a bigger strategy other than personal connections of the people that are in the boardroom to build what we're building if we're going to be the club we were in the past which isn't even where I think the end point should be it it has to be bigger than that when other clubs like you said joe have all these strategies to overtake albion in theory i mean it's all right having a community and looking to that community to sort of employ people but that's if you've got a strong good community this community doesn't deliver so why would you stick with that community you make a community don't you you bring people in and you start from the drawing board and then you sort of build a community like we did under dan ashworth where you've got like your morrisons you brought all of the players that played in their testimonial. You know, you've got that community. They built that by being successful. I think that's we... the point, though, isn't it? Like, we have got a team that is good enough to be competing. They've done something, despite it being built up from friends and family. They've built something there that should be achieving more than it has. But I think the problem and the issue is, is that this kind of lack of approach to everything at the club, this throw it at a dartboard and see what works approach, it's only going to work for so long before it just, we miss all together. The interesting, not, not to play devil's advocate too much, but the interesting thought that I've been having over the past few weeks is if Steve Bruce had done effectively what he should have done, which is come into the club, stabilised us after a rocky patch under Valerian Ishmael, got the players back on side, got the fans back on side, got us into the playoffs or promoted last season, or failing that, had us towards the top end of the table this season, challenging at the top of what seems to be an impossibly poor championship where nobody seems to be interested in winning it outright. If we were doing that, do you think all of these concerns about the boardroom become apparent? Let me just clarify what I'm saying there when I say that. I'm not saying this is all Steve Bruce's fault. What I'm saying is is that the -the on-the-pitch failures, like the scab that's been picked off and showed all of this festering ooze underneath but if we'd just been good this season and got promoted and like got to sell and that was it would we be even talking about this but basically i'm asking the question then is it does this a lot of this come down to steve bruce i think you're right we wouldn't be talking about it because you know we'd be successful on the pitch and the football team the players the results are the most important thing that we as fans look towards but it would have only just been put off to another point we would have gone if we got promoted we got relegated we still haven't got the setup to buy the players and we would have got relegated and this point would have happened you know unless lie had sold and someone had come in and invested in the club behind the scenes so it would just been put off i don't think there'd be as many grumpy albion fans because if we were in the playoffs and, you know, in automatic spots, then the board would be delivering. But because we're not, that's why we're so unhappy. Well, all of that said, and I suppose there's plenty more we could say and there's plenty more that has been said. And the conversation about Steve Bruce and Ron Gourlay and Guac and Lai and all of the kind of turmoil that exists, I'm sure that will continue to rumble on in the background over the next few weeks months years until i guess we get a new owner 
effectively. But Albion are now beginning the hunt for their ninth manager in five years, Alex has wrote in the notes. Is that right? 15th manager in a decade, as I said at the very, very start. So much uncertainty from the very outset in terms of a new manager. It wasn't like when Valerian Ishmael was sacked and it was as soon as Ron Gourlay came in, Steve Bruce was named as his man. There didn't seem to be any distinct favourite in terms of credible sources. There were certainly plenty of names in the hat and it quickly emerged that the kind of fan favourite at the least, according to all the polls, was Sean Dyche. It seems as though Sean Dyche, at the very least, is kind of a more outside prospect now. Some conversations about his wage demands and a few other factors that he's waiting for a premiership club to come in for him. That means that it's probably unlikely to be Sean Dyche. But the club have come out and said that they're in the process of an extensive recruitment drive and some managers seem more popular than others. Some fans are Sean Dyche or die. Some people are open up to a few more names. According to Rob Dorsett from Sky News yesterday, he's saying that the Albion haven't actually even finalised a shortlist. But the current favourite is steamed into contention today while we're recording this. In fact, you know what? I'm going to say this now while we're recording this, that whenever the Hawthorns Debate Club sets about recording a manager speculation, rumour, discussion that inevitably the manager is hired and it makes their entire podcast and conversation completely redundant. So congratulations to whoever's been appointed. But the current favourite, as I said, has kind of come from out of nowhere and is charging towards the, the finishing line is Jody Morris. He's the former Chelsea midfielder who I remember from Championship Manager years and years and years ago. The second favourite for the job is Carlos Corbran, the former Huddersfield manager who's been out of work since he was sacked in Greece. Sean Dyche then comes in at number three. Gary Rowett, Liam Rossignier, Stephen Schumacher, the Plymouth manager, Liam Richardson, the Wigan manager, Chris Wilder, Roy Keane, and then Rob Edwards at the very outside there. There's a few names on there that are more exciting than others, but the kind of two really heavily linked managers at this point now seem to be Carlos Corberan and Jody Morris. I guess Jody Morris speaks into that young, untested assistant manager like your Michael Carricks and a few other characters that are about. Some people even, I know I was talking to Tom from Baggy's Bulletin earlier, threw in Schumacher into that kind of mould as well as relatively untested and blooded managers that might be looking to make a name who've got plenty of coaching experience but not necessarily much managerial experience and then you kind of got Carlos Corbran who's done well in this league seems to have a kind of style and philosophy where your hearts and heads at with the managerial hunt David Wagner. <laughs> so we can reuse episode. that episode. See, yeah, see episode four of the Hawthorne's Debate Club. Guten Tag, Herr Wagner. Uh, to be honest, there's no excitement in it. About last week, Gary Rowett charged to the favourite and everyone's like, oh, we don't want Gary Rowett in. He's doing a bloody good job at Millwall at the moment. And I don't think we can pick and choose now. We're not in that situation. We've got Ron Gourlay running this thing and Ian Pierce. we we've got no faith in so we're going to come out with someone we don't expect probably someone who's not exciting or untested i don't mind untested a lot of people are saying jody morris is a friend of ron gourley i don't know who top five mates are on myspace ron gourley but 
obviously Jody Morris is on there. But the only one I've got a bit of doubt about, and the guy from Albion Analytics, he was saying this around Carlos Corbran. His tactics, yeah, it's that Bielsa understudy, wasn't it? But a lot of his goals came from set pieces, and we haven't had any luck with Steve Bruce's work on set pieces. So it might be a hard job for Carlos Corbran to come in and change that around. I don't know any of the others. I think Sean Dyche is pretty similar, but I think he's a pragmatic coach. And I don't think he'll come to the Albion. I don't think we'll get Sean Dyche. We're not in that situation to pick one of the best managers out there. I think it comes down to the cheapest and probably someone with a bit of vision. Yeah, absolutely. Beggars can't be choosers. The state we're currently in, you know, we've quite an ageing squad, a non-existence board you know, and currently 22nd in the table, you know, it's a tall order. I think we need a miracle worker. I'd be quite happy with Carlos Corberan, but what worries me with him is that he had two seasons at Huddersfield. The first season, he was very poor, apparently, and then he turns it on in the second. And I don't think we've got that the time, really, to dive any deeper than we currently are. I quite like Roy Keane at the club, I've got to admit. A lot of that's for the drama factor. I just like him as a bloke. I'm a big Roy Keane fan, so I quite like him. Stephen Schumacher, I think he'd be a good choice. I don't really like the idea of Gary Robert, because I think he's failed at similar sort of circumstance in the past, I seem to recall. Chris Wilder's a no-go for me. He's another one of these old managers that are kind of stuck in the way. In this day and age, it's more of an attacking game. I don't think you can get away with defending like Pulis anymore. I, th- I think you need to go out and at him. So that's kind of my take on it. I guess that's where I'm kind of my heart leans into this. I'm just not in the market for another dinosaur. I think the issue that we've had is well stated by you guys is that perhaps it's difficult for a manager to come into Albion and hit the ground running, whoever they are, because we're just not set up for managers to succeed. You need a manager that's comfortable working every aspect of the club. There's no technical director to support them. There's no footballing infrastructure at the club to underpin their coaching. So some of these young first team coaches from lower down the leagues, they're going to have to come in and come from a role where they just in charge of the training ground, the tactics and decisions on match day to suddenly this vacuum of footballing power at the Albion. It just seems like perhaps a stretch too far for many of those managers. The only issue that leaves you with is that the the managers that could come in and oversee the kind of old-fashioned manager role are managers that I'm just frankly not interested in watching what they put down there. Chris Wilder comes into mind for me, but the one that I guess this could be quite an unpopular opinion, but I'm just, I didn't want Sean Dyche at all. I think that whole idea and narrative that Sean Dyche is a really pragmatic manager, that he would play exciting attacking football in the championship if given the opportunity at Albion. I'm just not sure what that's founded upon, really. His whole time at Burnley, they were long ball specialists. They were plenty of crosses into the box and they were set pieces and all of these things. And although... We don't have the required pieces to make that work at the Albion. As we've seen under Steve Bruce, that certainly doesn't stop managers who believe in the philosophy from attempting that. And I just don't see the evidence to suggest to me that Sean Dyche wouldn't come in and attempt to do the same at Albion. Now, there's obviously no way of knowing that. I could be completely wrong about that. But this certainty that Sean Dyche would come in and be some sort of like 
breath of fresh air to football. I, I just can't see it at all. I think it'd be very much a continuation of this ugly ball that we've been forced to watch over the last couple of seasons. Although saying that, Steve Bruce's football wasn't too bad to watch. It was just ineffective, I guess, is a, a positive we could give Steve Bruce about his time at the Albion. I think the best candidate to me on my opinion, and again, is Corbran. I think he's the one where my heart's leaning now. I know he isn't the be-all and end-all solution. His football isn't the most attractive in the world. It certainly requires a lot of energy from the players. It's difficult to see how that's going to translate with very little opportunity mid-season. With a World Cup break in between, it's difficult to imagine that. It's a kind of philosophy that you can come in and just immediately get players playing. So that is a bit of a sticking point with Corbran. But with the other options out there, Jody Morris and Michael Carrick and managers like this I just for me I don't want to be a guinea pig for a, a wannabe manager because for all of the Wayne Rooney's out there there's like Liam Rossignol's where it just doesn't work at all and they completely fall fat on their face fat and flat on their face I just want someone to come in who's young enough but has some competency in the role just to stabilise what we're doing. I think one of the interesting things that was brought up on the Albion Analytics podcast, I think it was Chris who said one of the ideas that would really make sense for Albion would be to go to one of these lower league clubs and take both a footballing director and the manager at the same time to bring over the infrastructure from them. And I think that for me, that is a shortcut to a long-term solution potentially there. But I just don't know if there's anyone at the club considering that. While we're recording, Joe's microphone stand has just broken and now he is clutching his microphone, emo style, funeral for a friend style, all of those bands from like the mid 2000s. Fringe is swept across his eyes right now and he's feeling pretty emotional, yeah, Joe? Correct. I, I think it just shows the, the power of, of his voice that he can break stands with it. The thing for me is none of us are experts and I guess fans talking about what managers are going to work and which managers won't work. The truth is none of us really know, none of us are experts and certain puzzle pieces that didn't fit other places will work well and managers that you think are like a certainty won't work well and the reality of it is, is I guess we just, you don't really ever know until the manager's there in the dugout and he's plying his trade for your club. It just, for me, seems as though that kind of idea or strategy, at least, that Chris from Albion Analytics said was at least a plan to address multiple issues at the club in one fell swoop. As we said at the outset, this problem, Steve Bruce isn't the only problem. Our tactics on a Saturday aren't the only problem at the Albion. Our substitutes aren't the only problem. And, and all of these backroom issues could be addressed by just bringing in someone from a lower league. Can't imagine compensation is going to be much of an issue, but just bringing them in and kind of having a pre-made team that already know each of us workings and how to deal with one another and what the the end goal is going to be my issue is and it comes back to something again we said earlier i don't trust the current people at the albion to think that creatively about a solution to multiple problems at the same time and the thing that scares me is Ron Gawley obviously knows Jody Morris from his time at Chelsea. He's currently unemployed and that like ticks both of our policies. I think it's WBART who messaged me earlier and said he can understand that. That's pretty much the only requirement that Jody Morris needs to be not just a favourite with the bookies, but like Albion fans should be very, very, very switched on to the fact that Jody Morris is like a Ron Gawley type of guy. Personal connection and unemployed currently, that's... That's his bread and butter. 
I don't want to be unfair on Jody Morris. You know, he might have the kind of skills and he might become a very good manager, but having Ron Gawley and that friendship there, it's something we don't need. The album, we've seen it with Steve Bruce. It just seems to become kind of, no, it's lazy, isn't it? It means that Ron Gawley doesn't have to do his job properly, due diligence and all that. And I think that's where people get annoyed. It's the laziness of it. It's an easy recruitment process. Like Schumacher, he's earned his stripes and he's doing it for Plymouth and they're playing some good football. So, you know, he's a first team coach or a manager, whatever you want to call them nowadays. I would be going someone like that. Whenever Joe's speaking, I think the audience will appreciate the little emo music I've edited into the background right now to help with the vision that we have as Joe's speaking as he clutches the microphone dramatically to his chest and his long sweeping black fringe that he's grown in the last few seconds that's kind of across one eye um, and the guy liner he's wearing. It all builds up the picture, but for the benefit of you who only get the audio content, hopefully the music's enough. Right, well, let's move out of this conversation. Obviously, I, my hesitancy isn't just that we don't know, although Jody Morris is the favourite right now. There's been plenty of favourites that have kind of come and gone. I'm sure by, like I said, by the time this podcast out, we'll know who the manager is anyway, because that's just the way we do things at the Debate Club. Biggest change that I want to see at the Albion in the next few weeks, I'm not even sure we could possibly see, and that would be that we'd have a massive overhaul behind the scenes at the club. And until that happens, I'm not sure it matters what manager we get anyway. Let's move on and briefly talk about the last couple of weeks, I guess, because as much as there are off-the-field issues, the -the on-the-field football has kind of delivered a bit of a mixed bag, I guess, over the last couple of weeks. Richard Beale took over the under-23s manager, and there's quite a lot of excitement, especially following our performance and victory at Reading. Our first away win, I want to say, since April, I believe the statistic is, and it it was a fairly good overall performance, punctuated by brilliant individual performances. And two of the individuals that stood out are two of the individuals that, I guess, in many respects, are part of the legacy of Steve Bruce's sacking, which were Taylor Gardner-Hickman and Alex Palmer, two players completely overlooked by Steve Bruce, even though fans were crying out for months and months and months. They came back into the squad and Taylor Gardner-Hickman just looked absolutely inspirational against Reading. I know it's a bit of old news now, and obviously we've had the defeat to Bristol City since then, but Taylor Gardner-Hickman, even on this podcast, I'm, I'm not sure I've given him the credit he deserved because he'd come into the squad on Saturday against Reading in and he looked such an energetic, lively presence in that team. And obviously Taylor Gardner-Hickman's involved in both goals against Reading. He sets up the first one, Matt Phillips doing what Matt Phillips does when a new manager's on the horizon, playing out of his mind, scores a goal. And then obviously Taylor Gardner-Hickman nicks the ball off Jeff Hendricks and scores a screamer, his first goal for the club. And the pictures of him celebrating from the away fans are probably one of my favourite football images ever right now because I just think it's just such a cool picture of him standing in front of the fans and the the limbs in the crowd going absolutely wild. I guess for me where I'm going with this is that Steve Bruce obviously got plenty of things wrong on the field with our team. The new manager coming in and there's obviously problems with on the field as we saw with the Bristol City game. Richard Beale named the same starting 11. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. I think most people agreed you couldn't drop players from a winning team but realistically there were seven players that played in defence 
recently in the lineup. A very defensive, conservative approach. And you kind of saw that where there was very, very little cutting edge to Albion. What are the kind of problems do you think that the new manager's got to kind of rectify and solve coming into the Albion? All the other players. <laughs> Literally, all the other players. I think we've got a lot of individuals in our team. I think you can see some of the players like Jed Wallace. Yeah, Jed Wallace, probably. I, I, literally, that's it. Grady. I can see Jed, Grady, Dean Garner. Yeah, Jed Wallace and Grady, Dean Garner. They've been playing well when we score. It seems to be like a bit of a cohesion there. But I just think they're individuals. But maybe the new manager can get those out of the players like John Swift and Rodic. I think Dara O'Shea's not had a great season so far. And I think people have got this thing about Dara O'Shea that he's one of our own. But does it make him a great player? I think Dara O'Shea is quite, kind of overrated, to be honest. So I think there's a lot for the new manager to do. There's a lot of great players there. If he can get the the best attributes out of the players, I think a new manager can be, you know, we could rock up that league. And I think this is the season to go up in that league because you've got the break in the middle with the World Cup. You've got a little pre-season. If we get the right manager in with these players, at the moment they're acting like individuals, but if they become a team, I think we could shoot up this league. I think we can. They're good players, except Conor Townsend. I don't really like Conor Townsend for some reason. <laughs> I think he's really overrated. <laughs> but yeah. I don't think Conor Townsend's overrated. I just don't. I think Conor Townsend has overperformed and it's basically just catching up to him. Conor Townsend is a big area of weakness for me. I think against Bristol City, he was the point at which so much play broke down. For me, my concern is that we've got a team that lacks cutting edge. We created chances in kind of inverted commas that lots of crosses into the box we were absolutely smashing the league in terms of number of crosses my concern is is that just because opposition teams worked out that crosses aren't the most successful way of winning football games so pursuing crosses and i think i noticed under richard bill there wasn't just loads of crosses hit into the box towards the end of the game as we got a bit desperate i think the number of crosses increased against bristol city but there was seen to be a little bit more of a determined effort to get the ball down and play the issue for me is that when a team just sits in a low block we are not good at breaking teams down and we're relying on like individual magic from grady dean garner who just wasn't at the races against bristol city or jed wallace to put through on those killer crosses I think even Thomas Asante, the honeymoon period is wearing off there. There's a lot of industry and endeavour, but very little output, really. And I think the same issues that you noticed with Grant are starting to appear with Asante now as well. It's just that I guess Grant is much more jaded player than Thomas Asante because Thomas Asante has been doing it for three weeks. Uh, Grant's been doing it for the best part of two seasons, not just to kind of get on Grant corner then and celebrating but there is so many issues i think dk and ajay coming back will be helpful to any new manager coming in um how much you can rely on them i don't know but i think the the big thing going forward for us now is as you said joe how do we capitalize on having some individually brilliant players at this level how do we get a system that brings the best out of those players 
I'd quite like us to play in a way that doesn't allow referees to, to frustrate us, doesn't allow teams to frustrate us with time wasting. It's really annoying me this season more than any other season. Now, I just think we've got to stop conceding first. And if there's anything we can do, perhaps try and, even if we like, focus more on attacking play, or perhaps there's a way where we can not allow teams to waste time by the style that we play, so perhaps more possession-based. I think that would suit us, and that's what I'd quite like to see. I think the issue Albion have got for the rest of this season is even though we are sat in the relegation zone that we're still seen as a scalp, that would be one of Bristol City's biggest nights of the year way at Albion winning 2-0 and looking fairly comfortable. I can't remember the keeper having to make a save the entire game. I know we hit the post a couple of times but really apart from that we didn't carve out many opportunities and I think lots of teams will see just sitting in and flooding the midfield area is a really, really simple solution to virtually everything we do. I've said it for weeks and weeks and weeks now teams are so happy when we get Jed Wallace and Dean Garner going down the wings and firing the ball into no one and obviously Jed Wallace and Dean Garner stand out in any system where you're just plowing down the wings and I think that yeah John Swift has underperformed and Yukushlu hasn't been who we thought he was going to be and Rogic looks off the pace and, and Asante isn't quite as good as these first couple of games showed but I don't think any players are going to thrive with the way we've been trying to play football it does feel like Someone needs to come in, rip up everything and start again from fresh. And all I'm interested in now in is, is seeing some nice football down the Albion. I'm sick of seeing hopeful, lofted balls down the line and punts into the final third. It's just, it's so hard to watch. And the issue for me is that you've got teams like Bristol City, Luton and a bunch of other teams that have come with less resources than us, poorer quality individual players than us, they just completely outplay us and there's something for their fans to get excited about. We've had very, very little to get excited about this season. Maybe Reading away is the most exciting thing that's happened this season and my big concern is obviously the new manager is imminent, I guess, but his first game in charge at home at least will be Sheffield United and that is a brutal, brutal game to kick off. I can't envision we're going to get a new manager in before Saturday so I imagine the first game in charge is going to be against a kind of promotion contender when we are really really short of confidence yeah I think this new manager has got it hopefully we get a manager in that we can get behind and it's not you know someone who we're already down trodden about before they come in you know someone like Roy Keane I think that would, the fans would already be on the, the back of the manager but this season like I said before it's a season of two, two, two halves isn't it we've got a big gap we can forget about it for a bit get behind the national team if you want to probably crap as well and then having a crap manager for your national team as well it's quite it's quite depressing isn't it yeah it'll be Sheffield United and hopefully he just picks the right person or gets lucky I think that's what we're gonna get he might get lucky and get a good one well, there's plenty more conversations to have. We've been talking long enough now. It's getting late here at the debate club. And as the, the dark winter nights draw in and the, the cold, the temperature drops, um, I think we'll leave our conversations there. Hopefully, uh, the managerial appointment is soon and hopefully they get their teeth into the squad. Not literally at Halloween but metaphorically get their teeth into the business of football but obviously we'll be back to discuss all of that in the next couple of weeks hopefully we'll try and be a little bit more consistent although it's half term next week but on that cliffhanger all that remains for me to say tonight is a big thank you to you Alex Collins 
Cheers. Big thank you to you, Joseph Clay. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Hawthorne's Breakthrough. We'll see you next week. Afraid to say.